Um, thanks, everyone, so much for coming. Um, it's great to see uh, more EAs getting interested in biosecurity, although our numbers are still few, um, hopefully growing. Um, and the program at, in biosecurity at EA Global is much more extensive this year than it was in the past, and I'm really happy to see that. I'm happy to uh, talk to interested folks about this kind of thing. Um, so as Anjali said, uh, I'm a program officer in Global Catastrophic Risks. I spend about half my time in biosecurity right now. Um, and specifically when I work on biosecurity, I'm thinking about that in the context of global catastrophic biological risks, which by which we kind of mean, in case you haven't heard that term before, risks that we think could, if they occurred, uh, have the potential to derail or destroy human civilization in the long term. And so when we think about biosecurity, we're thinking about it in the context of our efforts to make sure the long-term future is good, as opposed to focusing primarily on efforts to help people now, which is something that Open Film does more through our programs in U.S. policy um, and in global health and development. Um, so I've been thinking about bio in effective altruism and effective altruism in biosecurity a lot this year, and I just wanted to share a few of my thoughts on that topic. Um, um, I'm going to try to communicate some of what I've learned and, and done this year, focusing on some recent projects. I've kind of split this into some projects and sort of analysis areas, which is a soft term I'm just using for things that I've been thinking about that I think are important for people who are interested in this space to keep in mind and, and some of what I've learned from that. Um, these are examples. Uh, they're not kind of comprehensive lists of what I've done or been thinking about. I selected them because I thought they might be of interest, and I'm definitely going to try to leave time for questions. So if you have questions in mind, please you know, be thinking about them, and then afterwards I'll have office hours. So um, if you don't get your questions answered, you're welcome to come then, and, and uh, we can chat. Um, so the first one I want to talk about was our project in early career funding, um, which our kind of idea was to fund grad programs and internships in fields or in organizations related to biosecurity with the goal of helping to get people who are kind of relatively value aligned with uh, our view on biosecurity, interested in global catastrophic biological risks in particular, um, have an easier time moving into that field uh, and make it kind of potentially quicker, give them more time to do work um, without having as much uh, pressure uh, from other other needs like financial constraints, um, we uh, accepted six applicants, um, and I'm really happy with what all of those applicants are doing. Happy to see actually some of them in this crowd. Um, congratulations! Um, we're not going to we haven't announced it quite yet because one person is still deciding, but we're going to announce that later. Um, but right now we're thinking about whether to renew that program. We're just considering it. And uh, we'd be really curious for feedback from other people on whether that would be a helpful thing for them, something that would help them do something related to global catastrophic biological risks quickly or earlier um, or not. We're not really, we're not very clear on the extent to which money is or isn't a limiting factor in this. Um, and we also are kind of worried about over pushing a career path that we don't yet understand very well and that we're not sure is the best one. There's a kind of risk that I'm holding in my mind that uh, our, our funding in the space could be taken as like a strong endorsement of certain routes or paths, and we're not sure that those are the best paths. So, um, so we kind of want to be wary of that tension, and we want people to go out explore, and we want to learn more about how people can have an impact in this space, but it doesn't feel like something that we're highly certain about. 
And this feels connected to a later topic I want to discuss, which is sort of what's EA's niche in biosecurity. And I think that there's a lot of possible answers to that question, but I don't think that um, we're yet at the stage where we can have solid conclusions about it. Um, the second project is a write-up on viral pathogen research and development. This Most of the work of this was done by um, our program officers in scientific research, who I have little pictures of, Heather Youngs and Chris Somerville. Um, this was a medium-depth investigation into this space, and it focused a lot on antivirals and vaccines. And we did this because we really wanted to learn both about the space in general and about whether there might be good funding opportunities available to open philanthropy uh, when we dug into it more deeply. Uh, and so some kind of quick takeaways from that. I thought it was really interesting what we learned. I was, um, I thought it was pretty, the most interesting part, I think, to me was just this idea that there are many novel vaccine types and that those may or may not um, bear fruit in the future, but that we kind of couldn't identify a lot of really hard scientific barriers to making very fast, effective vaccines. Um, so I, I expect that, there, that some might well exist and that also many like logistical difficulties that aren't related to si hard scientific barriers might exist. Um, but it seems sort of like a ripe area to, for further learning and experimentation to figure out you know, what we really need to do before we can um, be more likely to uh, create very fast vaccines in the event of an emergency, perhaps one involving a novel, novel pathogen against which we don't already have treatments. Um, and uh, we also looked a little bit into antivirals and found that they've, in general, received a lot less attention recently. Um, and one kind of theory about why this is would be that antivirals um, are less useful, to some extent, in the developing world where people have kind of irregular or low access to hospitals and healthcare professionals, because you kind of need to take antivirals quickly, you know, right around the time that you get infected with a virus. And then they're also, um, some of them are not hugely efficacious against a broad range of viruses. Um, and so for that reason, we thought maybe it was a little bit underexplored, but there might be opportunities there. Um, in, specific, in particular, we looked at these chaperone inhibitor proteins, which are, um, chaperone proteins are proteins that help your body fold new proteins it's creating into the, the right shape. So they kind of like chaperone them into being the right uh, form to be functional. And inhibitors obviously inhibit that process. And that sounds like a bad thing because you obviously want your proteins to be functional. But um, it can, it, we thought that it could have a potential uh, for helping with uh, dealing with viruses because viruses also are hijacking your body's machinery to fold their proteins into the right shape. Um, and if you could inhibit that process, it might, uh, it might reduce the amount of viral replication. And of course, that would have some side effects. So it's probably not something that would be worth it to do for something like the common cold. Um, but there's a little bit of evidence from cancer patients that the side effects might actually not be so severe and they might be worthwhile if you were, for example, infected with um, a very potentially deadly virus. Um, and we also uh, have funded this research in uh, David Baker's lab. And he's attempting to make a universal flu vaccine, um, which is definitely a long shot, but it's something that would be really amazing if it succeeded because um, flu is both surprisingly deadly, killing lots of people every year, and also one of the viruses with the potential to maybe mutate into an even more deadly and dangerous form. Um, so what he's doing is trying to design um, there. 
in the flu vaccine, in the flu virus, there are these kind of outer parts, which is what your body usually recognizes and, and tries to fight off. And then it has these kind of inner parts that are highly conserved across many different strains of flu. So the outer parts are kind of mutating rapidly and are different between different flu viruses. This is an oversimplification, but um, approximately. And then the, it, these like more inner parts are more conserved. Um, and so the idea is if you could get your body to... Um, to um, be exposed to these inner parts that it's not normally exposed to, then it might be able to uh, actually be immunized against many different types of flu, um, as opposed to just developing immunity to one type of flu and then it mutates and then it no longer has immunity. So he's trying to like create these proteins that have those inner parts more on the outside and where your body can um, can uh, potentially induce production of broadly neutralizing antibodies, which are antibodies that would neutralize many different strains of flu. So we're interested in that research. We, uh, with, like with most of our scientific research funding, we think there's, you know, a good chance that it won't come to anything, but, um, we're, it's part of our philosophy of hits based giving to kind of, uh, when we think a long shot could be worth it, try to give it, um, support nonetheless. Um, and now I want to talk a little bit about the kind of different areas of analysis I've been thinking about um, that are specifically related to involvement in global catastrophic biological risks and are kind of common concerns, I think, especially in the EA space um, and ones that I would love to get more people thinking about. So I think the first one I want to talk about is informa information hazards and the related unilateralist curse issue. I put some definitions up here that maybe you guys could just read really quickly. While I have a drink. Um, so the definition of information hazard is risks that arise from dissemination or the potential dissemination of true information that may cause harm or enable some agent to cause harm. This concept was um, coined by Nick Bostrom. Um, unilateralist curse. Uh, also the, the general idea that... Um, if there's lots of actors, even if they all have good intentions and they all have the ability to take an action, um, we should expect that at least, you know, even if it's a bad action, some of them might wrongly think it's a good action and take that action. Um, and so the overall, with sufficiently large number of actors, becomes fairly likely that that action will be taken. And if that action is something like uh, publishing a piece of information, then it really only matters if one person does it. That's basically as bad as lots of people doing it because once it's on the internet, then you know anyone can see it. Um, also, Bostrom concept. Bostrom is very interested in these types of concepts. Um, and here's some little graphs that might help illustrate them. Um, and so I think these are important concepts for people who are interested in work on biosecurity, especially in the EA community. The EA community, uh, really, I think people love to, to work together, talk about things online, hash through tough concepts, and I think that's one of its best qualities, actually. But I think this is an area where we need to be a little bit more circumspect about some of that and a little bit more careful. So that's why I wanted to highlight it. Um, I think that we need to kind of work together. And um, sometimes I think being aware of these concepts will involve doing things that feel like overly conservative to you according to your feelings but if you're never if you're never doing something that feels overly conservative to you then you're probably you might be falling prey to this this kind of curse idea um, and so you know a real example in my mind is that there's in my actual work is that there's a person with whom I really want to share a certain document and I really think it would be great to share this document with this person um, they're 
really smart. They could be a really great ally. I think that the downsides are minimal. I don't think they're going to do anything inappropriate with the information. Um, but a key advisor of mine really doesn't agree with that, and I really respect that person's judgment. And so even though in this particular instance it kind of feels silly and excessive to me, I'm not going to share this document with this person until my advisor um, changes their mind, or if they don't change their mind, then I won't ever do that. And the way I kind of think about that is if I released info every time I felt like it, um, soon enough I'd probably make a mistake. And, you know, if everyone did that, then we would really only be as safe as our least cautious person, which feels like a pretty bad place to be in. Um, and so I think that this is, the, this is an area where kind of coordination around these concepts is, are important, is important. Um, and people, especially in the beginning, when we don't totally know what we're doing, we're still figuring things out. It's pretty good to err on the side of conservatism and not do anything irreversible. Um, so I think when you're taking an action, you should just think about the upsides and downsides, not just of you, but of all the similar people like you having a similar policy. Does that, like, in expectation add up, add up to disaster? If so, like, don't do it. Um, but I, I also want to highlight that I don't think there's an easy answer here, and too much conservatism itself has really negative impacts. Uh, it makes it really hard to recruit. It makes it hard for people to understand what they should do and prioritize within the space. Um, and it's harder for people to take up inform make informed decision. It takes up a ton of time and energy thinking about it. So I don't think just like be super conservative is a good policy either. It's we actually just have to figure out how to walk a really tough line and, and strike a really tough balance. Um, but we should do that kind of in a coordinated fashion because if we're all striking our own balance, that won't be very efficient. Um, Last, I want to talk about just some thinking on EAs and biosecurity and where we may or may not have kind of a niche. Um, and I think uh, focusing on global catastrophic biological risks in particular both, both fits with a lot of our values and might be an underexplored area. I know Greg Lewis is going to talk about this a little bit more later, so I'm not going to uh, harp on it too much, but I recommend going to his talk. Um, I think uh, thinking about... Um, Thinking about like what efforts might be broadly useful is a good thing to do. Um, so especially things that sort of are only useful in the event of a really bad emergency. And the antivirals that I were was talking about recently are kind of like a good example of that. Like things which are not normally useful for more day-to-day -day issues might be underexplored by people who are focusing mostly on those day-to-day -day issues. Um, and so if you kind of think about what in particular is only useful in a worst-case scenario, that, that might be a fruitful kind of avenue of inquiry. Um, other broad areas are things that address like state risk, risk from states, um, or risk from, um, risks from, uh, synthetic biology on the cutting edge kind of are areas where there's not a lot of precedent. There's not a lot of pressure on most people in government to work on those because they haven't yet occurred or people don't know about them. There's not a lot of public pressure, but they also could potentially lead to, you know, greater catastrophes than what we see coming out of nature. Um, and so, but I think like a lot more work is needed to outline these career paths, as I said, thanks to those of you who are working on this and helping with this, because I think it's just really valuable and hopefully we'll have a lot more uh, specific information to, to say next year. Um, the last thing I want to say is just there's kind of longish timelines, I think, on working in this space. And so patience here is a, is a virtue. Um, it might be good to start thinking most early on about the distinction between technical work versus policy work, kind of a la AI if you are following work in that space, um, because 
that might determine whether you want to go into a more bioscience-focused PhD or other grad program versus um, learning more about policy. Although my sense is that kind of uh, working, starting out in the more technical area is the kind of option-preserving uh, strategy because it's easier to switch from um, technical work to non-technical work than um, non-technical work to technical work based on like what I've heard from people I've talked to. Um, yep. And then some EA orgs are focusing on expanding their work on this. Uh, FHI and OpenPhil are the most obvious ones. Um, and we, we're trying to do, we're trying to learn about this a lot. We might expand our teams. And so I think, uh, helping with that could be an amazing option for those of you who are interested. Um, but other than that, I think that we should all kind of think of this as a nascent area that's still in flux and in formation where we might be changing our advice next year. We might think that different things are valuable next year and people who are sticking with it are kind of um, functioning as these forward scouts helping us understand what's going on. Um, and it's not yet, it's not yet a mature area. And so I'm really grateful again to everyone here who's helping with that. And with that, I will take questions. It's working. You could just speak really loud. Okay, yeah. I'm just <laughs> going to yell a little bit. Um, okay, so just as a reminder, if you guys do have questions, please make sure to submit them on Visibo. People can also um, raise their hands if we, if we run out, though. Okay. I'm fine with that. Okay, um, so to get started, um, you touched on this a little bit in your talk, and you mentioned that Craig Lewis is also giving a similar talk later on this um, afternoon, but yeah. um, how neglected of a field do you think biosecurity is currently, especially compared to other cause areas such as AI safety um, mm -hmm. and nuclear security, and how do you see both OpenPhil fitting into the space, and how do you see other young, motivated EAs who want to yeah. in the space? That's a really good question. Um, I do think it's going to be something that Greg Lewis is, is going to focus on a lot So from FHI. So uh, if you're interested in it, I, I again recommend his talk. Um, I think uh, it's still something we're trying to understand. I certainly think if you took like number of people who would identify as working in biosecurity or millions of dollars that are identified as going to support efforts in biosecurity, it would be much, much higher than the, uh, than it would, the same numbers would be in AI or AI safety. Um, I'm not sure about nuclear security. My sense would be that that would be even bigger, although maybe Crystal would know more about that. Um, but I think that the relevant question here is to what extent does work on biosecurity in general, um, to what extent is it generalized to or is it relevant for global catastrophic biological risks in particular? Um, I think that that varies depending on the specific intervention or type of effort that you're looking at. Um, but I do feel like our kind of early forays have indicated that there are some areas that might be pretty neglected um, that are mostly just relevant to global catastrophic biological risks. And so um, like in AI, it feels like there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of low-hanging fruit to us right now. That's not a very concrete or quantitative answer to the question. I'm more just like reporting my, my sense from looking at this. Um, but... I think it would align with what other people who have been doing this, like the folks at FHI, think as well. 
And just to continue on that thread, um, it seems like OpenPhil is very interested in looking at global catastrophic biological risks. Um, what has the response of the biosecurity community been like um, with these interests that you guys have? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It would be a better question for Jamie, our program officer in biosecurity who specializes in this um, and has done a lot more of the grant making. My sense is that uh, a lot of folks have really become interested in it and have been um, you know, very open. And I've definitely seen a lot of engagements starting to come out of that community. For example, the Center for Health Security had a special in- issue in their journal Health Security on just global catastrophic biological risks. And a lot of people submitted articles to that. Uh, I think there's also a lot of people that are more skeptical and are kind of um, have an intuition that I think is very reasonable and comes from a very good place of being worried that will distract from efforts to help people who are really suffering right now with these very speculative uh, concerns that may or may not be uh, might, may or may not be justified, may or may not come to anything, and um, a kind of moral intuition that it's really important to help people who are in need right now. Um, and so maybe those people are, are worried about um, distracting or diverting money from those kind of pressing current issues to work on these more speculative goals. So we have one question that says, um, I get the general sense that technical work is more prioritized by the EA community and AI safety, whereas policy or strategy work seems more promising in biosecurity. Do you agree with this? And what do you think is the reason for this distinction, if true? Sorry, can you say the distinction again? The distinction is more... More technical work for AI safety and more policy or strategy work for biosecurity. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really align with my impression of how how at least some people are thinking about AI safety. My sense is that some people think that AI policy and strategy work is actually um, maybe in higher demand or the marginal value of a person going into policy might be higher uh, than their, than the value of a marginal person going into AI safety. But I think that that would vary a lot depending on who you talk to. For biosecurity, I think that it's really um, too early to tell. I, I wouldn't make a statement. It definitely feels like when we make lists of the best seeming projects to us. Some of them involve more technical work and some of them involve more policy work. I also feel a little bit uncomfortable with this policy technical distinction because like working on policy can be extremely technical. So it's more like, I think, you know, and I started it, so it's my bad, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I, I was more thinking sort of like working on, uh, science, uh, and engineering versus working on, um, implementing policy or governance strategies, um, but yeah, I don't feel like we really have a strong view about which one is more valuable. It just seems like uh, for younger folks who are still figuring out how to start out, uh, it's easier to switch from the technical to the, or from the science to the non-science-y rather than vice versa. And so that's sort of a more robust option. So um, again, on the same lines of that question, um, this issue of, or uh, yeah, this um, concept of personal fit seems to come up a lot um, in EA discussions. And do you have any um, suggestions or or recommendations um, about how a young motivated EA might test if this this field is a good uh, fit for them? Or um, are there reasons why they might be more well-suited to working in biosecurity than some other GCR issues? Yeah, um, it's a good question. So first on personal fit, I agree personal fit is really important. I think people are immensely more productive um, and more likely to think of good ideas when they're enthusiastic about the area and they find the area interesting. Um, so uh, definitely plus one to that. Um, as to how to kind of test that out, I don't feel like I don't feel like there's an established good way to test that out. I mean, doing something like an internship in um, 
at an organization that works on biosecurity seems like a pretty costly but hopefully effective way to test out fit. Although I could still imagine getting kind of uh, the wrong project and, and not feeling like it clicks when maybe if you were given a slightly different project, it would click more. For someone who's earlier on and doesn't want to do something that costly, I think going through the resources on that are available on um, global catastrophic biological risks and seeing if they seem interesting to you and reading through them and seeing if the, it feels like it feels like you are curious to learn more and you would love to learn more or it feels like there's an open question and you're like, oh man, it didn't address this issue, but what about this issue? I'd love to like figure out that issue. That would seem like a pretty positive sign of personal fit to me. So it seems like if you're excited about learning more, then it seems like a good sign of personal fit. Yeah, but I think that's just like me theorizing about stuff. That's not like a time-tested strategy. And then for our final question... Um, uh, one person asks, do you see organizations in the spirit of OpenAI or Miri starting up in biosecurity anytime soon? And if so, what do you envision them doing? Um, yeah, so I'm guessing the, the, the sort of um, more generalized question would be like, are there going to be organizations dedicated to global catastrophic biological risks that maybe try to do technical work on, uh, on reducing the probability of one of those events occurring? Um, I would, and, and new organizations as opposed to or existing organizations that do some work in that space. Um, although, I mean, OpenAI also does AI capabilities work. Uh, I would say, like, I think there's, there's some prospect that that might happen, but, um, not super short-term, uh, plans for it to happen. But, uh, I think that something like that would be, it would be pretty impactful and useful if that happened in the next few years. Okay. Thank you, Claire. Um, that's all the time we have for questions. Thank you for joining us for this session. Thank you.